Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. An old farmer relied on his trusty, hardworking horse to plow the fields, but one day the horse broke through its fence and ran away. The farmer's neighbors rushed to console him. What will you do without your horse during planting season? They shook their heads. What bad luck. The farmer was grateful for their concern, but only shook his head. Bad luck, good luck, who knows? Thus begins one of the most famous Taoist parables dating to the second century BCE in China. A few days later, the horse returned, accompanied by two wild horses. The farmer was overjoyed, more help to plow his fields. Once again, the neighbors hurried over, three strong horses, what good luck, they said. The farmer smiled. You can say it with me. Bad luck, good luck, who knows? The farmer's oldest son mounted one of the wild horses, but the horse threw him and the boy's leg was broken. The neighbors came running again. How terrible that your son won't be able to help you during planting season. What bad luck. Once again, the laconic farmer shook his head. Bad luck. Good luck. Who knows? Not long afterwards, the emperor's army rode into town under ominous gray skies. Their general gave the order to draft the oldest son from every household. House to house they went, but one look at the farmer's son lying in bed with his leg propped up, and the soldiers moved on. The army marched out of town, tearful neighbors waving goodbye to their sons, perhaps forever. Still wiping their eyes, the neighbors gathered at the farmer's home. Your son is here, they cried. What good luck. The farmer looked at them with great compassion. Bad luck. Good luck. Who knows? The traditional text concludes, bad luck brings good luck, and good luck brings bad. This happens without end, and no one can estimate it. Tao means road, path, or way. In Taoism, the commentaries on this story explain that everything, everything, from the smallest detail to great events, is an interplay of light and shadow, happiness and unhappiness, what they call yin and yang. Because it is not ours to know the future, we can't know whether good luck is really good 
or bad luck is really bad. The work before us, the Taoists teach, is not to languish in apathy or passivity, not to rationalize or tolerate injustice, hoping that things will change someday. The work before us is to reframe our personal narrative and cultivate equanimity, that state of being in which we stop grasping, stop trying to bend circumstances to our will, and adopt a moving posture of ease and fluidity, which underlies and supports our every action. Equanimity is the calm acceptance of life on life's terms. In Buddhism, equanimity is considered one of the four Brahma-viharas, or heavenly abodes. In the virtues of equanimity, loving-kindness, compassion, and sympathetic joy, that is, joy for others, in these lie our truest happiness. An equanimous perspective allows us to hold lightly the full range of our experience. By my lights, equanimity is the heavenly abode that asks the most of us. My friend Peter Fleck of Blessed Memory, a native of Holland, was the personal financial advisor to the Rothschild family. After World War II, he was knighted for his work in rebuilding the financial system in the Netherlands. But he felt called to be a Unitarian Universalist minister. And in his retirement here in the States, we ordained him. Here is one of his good luck, bad luck stories as he preached it. I regret that I can't offer it to you in heavily Dutch-accented English, which made his humor even funnier, but you can imagine. He begins, only once, in the hundreds of times I flew on a commercial airline, did I have a feeling that my life was in danger. Ordinarily, I would have taken the shuttle from LaGuardia to Boston, but shuttle service was suspended because, as I later learned, crosswinds would make landing in Boston hazardous. I was told that US Air, then a struggling newcomer among the airlines, would fly from Newark to Boston at 9 o'clock that night. I got the last available seat. Good luck, you might think although now we know how it turned out for U.S. Air. We left Newark, circled for half an hour over Boston, and tried to land three times. By now, it was well past 11 o'clock. The captain addressed us over the PA system. He apologized for not being able to land, but he was pleased to report that we had sufficient fuel to resort to Plan B. Being ignorant of the existence of Plan A, I could muster only limited enthusiasm for Plan B, and the mention of fuel alarmed me. But what do you do in a case like that? Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing you can do. I wondered what the other passengers were thinking. No one showed concern. The situation was too serious for panic. Finally, 
We landed on the blessed soil, to quote American author and playwright Jean Kerr, the blessed soil of Hartford, and were transported by bus to Boston, arriving at 3 a.m. Before leaving, I had phoned home. Throughout the long night, my wife Ruth was in touch with US Air. The information was ominous. Then at last came the jubilant news, they've landed in Hartford. Ruth said, Hartford? Connecticut? Lady, said the operator, you don't understand, they are on the ground. Good luck, after all. Chances are there came a time, probably many times, that every one of us has found ourselves somewhere between a rock and a hard place. Did you wriggle or fight it like crazy? Did you call for help or did you just collapse? The Buddha taught that cultivating a calm and even temper can come in very handy in those situations. Our inclination is to try to control the outcome to decide what we'd most like, which would be good and which would be bad, and lean in to achieve one or avoid the other. But life doesn't always work that way. And rather than pitching between overjoyed and utterly defeated, the directive is to pause, call down equanimity, and practice acceptance. Acceptance of reality exactly as it is. Let's say again very quickly that this doesn't mean that we inure ourselves to the real difficulties in our personal and collective lives. We don't rationalize, passively accept injustice, and hope for a good outcome. The teaching says a wise person does not become despondent in adversity and does not become arrogant in times of prosperity. Equanimity is evenness of mind under stress, a habit of mind that is rarely disturbed even under great strain. Equanimity creates some spaciousness, some room to breathe and move, to take the full range of our experience as grist for the mill. Equanimity, to be receptive to the perspective that we don't really know which luck is bad and which is good. Bad luck, good luck, who knows? In these times, it feels urgently important to retell stories in which good luck is elevated to grace. On occasion, Peter and Ruth Fleck could be cajoled into telling stories of their escape from the Nazi invasion of Holland, elevating questions of bad luck and good luck to death and life. I want to tell you another story. The Flex didn't hesitate to leave everything but each other behind. 
including the fresh grave of their infant son, Jan. It was a terrible time, a time beyond all imagining. It was almost impossible to buy food in Amsterdam, but as they left, a neighbor came by with a farewell gift of a sausage, the greatest generosity. Ruth told me that she removed from her traveling bag a beloved little Chinese antique statue of a kneeling horse and replaced it with the sausage. The only way out of Holland was through Spain or Portugal, the only countries from which ships were still sailing to the Western Hemisphere. To secure a visa, you had to have a receipt for a ticket on one of those ships, which were booked for many months into the future. The steamship companies were no longer even accepting deposits. Nonetheless, Peter went to a travel agent in Amsterdam whom he only vaguely knew. Good luck, a sympathizer. The agent sent a cable to reserve passage for the flex on the SS Magellans, a name randomly picked out of the scheduled sailings, due to depart from the Spanish port on April 12, 1940. Before he received an answer, which was going to be negative, there was no doubt that it was going to be negative, he wrote a letter confirming that he had reserved passage for the flex and sent a message to The Hague, who would present to the Spanish Council a copy of his confirmation together with the flex passports, with the request to stamp Spanish visas into them. It was a brilliant but extremely risky plan in a situation comprised of nothing but escalating risk. The rule governing the fate of all refugees is do not let in what you cannot get out. As the Nazis closed in, Peter and Ruth made their way to the border of San Sebastian in Spain under false, false pretenses, hardly their usual MO. They handed over their passports to the immigration officer, their hearts thundering in their ears, the agent asked for their steamship tickets. Peter produced the fake confirmation letter, which the Dutch travel agent had written in English. The officer scrutinized the letter carefully. Did he actually know English or was he just pretending? If he didn't, more good luck. There was no way anyone would believe for a moment that the flex reservations were real. With a single gesture, he sealed their fate, motioning for them to pass into Bilbao, Spain. Each day there, the flex lined up with refugees from Germany and all the Nazi-occupied countries trying to secure tickets but the steamship companies had greedily oversold. They were stuck in Bilbao and Hitler's army was advancing. Bad luck. Oddly, Peter and Ruth remembered their stay in Bilbao as a happy time. After their daily trip to the ticket agency, they would walk in the surrounding hills, looking out over the Mediterranean. Late in the day, Peter said, 
Its blueness turned to purple, Homer's wine-colored sea. The food was scarce and poor. Bad luck, Peter got sick. Good luck. He visited a doctor who cured him and refused to be paid. He never accepted money from refugees, the doctor said, and wished him luck. There was little fruit available, oranges and bananas. Every morning, the Flex brought their daily, bought their daily supply in a little store run by a kind, elderly, round-faced woman. And then, good luck. One day, at their routine visit to the ticket agency, the Argentine ambassador to Spain had just canceled a large suite of cabins for his family and his retinue. The Flex were offered a tiny cabin, which had been reserved for the ambassador's butler. The agent handed the golden tickets across the desk. They were for the SS Magellans, departing on April 12, 1940. The very ship and the very date that the Amsterdam travel agent had chosen randomly. After the war, the Flex learned that in this way, 20 people had been saved. On the eve of their departure from the famished land of Spain to the abundance of the United States, the Flex went to say goodbye and thank you to the elderly fruit seller. She asked them to wait and came back with a jar of homemade jam she insisted they accept as a farewell gift. Another gift of immeasurable generosity. The next morning, the Magellans sailed to Vigo, Spain, and so began the long westward journey away from the Nazi-infested continent. In the middle of the third night at sea, Peter woke up. It was deadly silent. The throbbing of the ship's engines had stopped. Bad luck. They were either adrift or riding at anchor. Both were ominous, and the worst explanation was first to mind. Had the Nazis invaded Spain and called back the overloaded refugee ship? At sunrise, the flex went on deck and were told the ship's rudder had been damaged. It was not a convincing story. The day was long. Toward evening, the ship turned around and began to retrace its long journey. They made dry dock and Farol, a Navy base on the western tip of Spain's north coast. The passengers had to disembark each morning to forage for food in the little town, which turned out to be a somewhat unproductive enterprise. Bad luck. They were stuck again, this time with military activity swirling around them and with no end in sight. The days followed each other in anxious succession. And then, good luck. After two weeks, the Magellans resumed her westward journey, carrying the flecks and their comrades.
to freedom. Peter always concluded telling this story. Do not ask me why Ruth and I were saved while millions perished. By what mysterious ways and means did bad luck give way to good luck? To raise the question, he said, may well be blasphemous. Not to raise it would be inhuman. So I raise it, but I cannot answer it. In his 1946 classic, Man's Search for Meaning, Austrian psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor, Dr. Viktor E. Frankl wrote, everything can be taken from us but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. What might it look like to go through life with an open and receptive awareness to the end that the lows don't feel so low and the highs, while more than welcome, don't knock you from your grounded center? What might it look like not to cling to any outcome, desired or dreaded, and simply to accept life on life's terms? with all its twists and turns and possibilities. Beloved spiritual companions, may we seek to live in the heavenly abode of equanimity, holding lightly the full range of our experience with a calm acceptance of life on life's terms. We cannot know the mystery of how good luck gives way to bad or bad to good. But we can choose our attitude, choose our own way. May we be like the farmer. Who knows? Amen. And now, for our benediction, I'm going to invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Adapted from Clarissa Pincole Estes. One of the most calming and powerful actions we can take to intervene in a stormy world is to stand up and show our souls. Souls shine like gold in dark times. The light of the soul throws sparks, sends up flares, builds signal fires. Remember, we were made for these times. Do not lose heart. You are not alone. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen.
please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.